Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Literacy-Based Speech Therapy Podcast. If you're new here, my name is Ashley. And my name is Kaylin, and we are your hosts. And today, we will be discussing how to implement a generic literacy-based speech therapy session using the book Dr. DeSoto by William Stieg as an example. So if you're not familiar with Dr. DeSoto, one, it's hilarious. It's an award-winning children's book about a clever mouse named Dr. DeSoto, who is also a dentist. And despite the fact that he's afraid of treating animals larger than mice, he and his wife agree to treat a fox who has a toothache. And this fox has a plan to eat the DeSotos after his treatment is complete. Dr. DeSoto outsmarts the fox by temporarily gluing his mouth shut and the couple escapes unharmed. So we chose this book as an example to use today because it's a good example of a complete episode. In her book, School Age Language Intervention, Teresa Ukrainit states books should be selected based on the narrative structure and the appeal of the story. Look for stories that present a clear central problem with multiple attempts to solve or ones that contain several problems that are resolved more quickly. A complete episode, again, has a problem with attempts to solve it, and then it's resolved. This book, Dr. DeSoto, is also great because it has great vocabulary. The whole book is based on the fox metaphor, and there's other figurative language concepts included. There's a lot of inferencing, problem-solving, perspective-taking from the point of view of Dr. DeSoto and the fox, character analysis. This book is great for lower elementary and upper elementary. So if you want to follow along with Dr. DeSoto, grab your copy of the book. If you want to use the lesson plan referenced by Teresa Ukrainitz, it is available. The templates are available in the bonus section of my seasonal book companions. So what her lesson plan lays out first is pre-story knowledge activation or building background knowledge. So these are two separate things that you need to think about with your students. When I'm working with a student, I often use this time as I'm walking students to the therapy room. So I am probing them on any concepts that are going to be related to the book I'm using in therapy. Specifically for Dr. DeSoto, we're going to be looking at very specific concepts. And then if I'm probing for those concepts and they don't have them, then that's when I'm going to spend time on that building background content knowledge. Because again, you can't work on inferencing if they have nothing to ground it on. So you need to know before you read a story with your students, what are they bringing to the table? What is their background and history with the characters or the type of book that is involved? So you can probe for these different concepts, but if they already have that skill, please don't go deeper working on that skill. And I kind of want to take a sidetrack from this. It reminds me of don't waste your time doing skills that they already have. I have seen in preschool classrooms where, you know how they have like circle time at the beginning of every day and they do like a little song and they talk about the weather and like by January of the school year, you don't need to be teaching the weather anymore. They should know that and you need to move on. You are using valuable class time or therapy time if you are reviewing concepts that they already have. So if you know that your students 
already have that background knowledge, don't spend time on it. If you know that your students have an understanding of story grammar or story plot, you don't need to be reviewing those story grammar elements. You need to move on and work on the concepts, maybe vocabulary. You may need to preview vocabulary for them. I love when you say use the time walking to your therapy session because everybody knows it takes about five minutes and you have to pick up all of your little kiddos along the way. And so being able to use that time so you don't have to then use those five minutes once you're in the classroom, you've already done it. And then you can actually get to reading the story. And so you can also use that pre-story time to get them excited about the book. So I often bring the book along with me in the hallway and I'm showing it to them as we're walking. I'm getting them excited and building that pre-story knowledge activation. And so like if they do have, you know, like vocabulary as a goal, then you need to have a, you know, those tier two words. Yes. So even with that, having a list, so that way you're not having to pull it out while you're walking, just have something quick to reference to. So with this pre-story with Dr. DeSoto, rather than just any tier two words, because this book is filled with a lot of them, choosing words that relate to the major idea in this story. So some of those vocabulary words in Dr. DeSoto are risk, muttered, assistant, admit, Outfox, if the kids don't understand the risk it takes for the mouse dentist to help a fox, then they're not going to understand one, the humor and the bravery of that mouse. And then if they don't understand the concept of outfoxing, what is that? The fox metaphor. Outfoxing means you're tricking them. But if they don't understand that, then they're not going to understand the main idea of the book. So those would be your main vocabulary words for this book to help them understand the book. If working on speech sounds, this is a good time to review good production prior, practicing a list of words that are included in the book. So Dr. DeSoto is said throughout the book multiple times. So you can work on that final er sound or the medial s sound or the initial f sound. And then whenever you're reading the book, you can have multiple practices, background knowledge. Again, that fox metaphor, cunning, deceptive, outfox a fox. Also the predator versus prey relationship, a fox and a mouse. A fox might eat a mouse. And so that's a big deal. Anticipation. So she, Ashley, you mentioned bringing the book as you're walking to the speech room. So looking at the illustrations while you're walking so that they can see the mouse inside of the fox's mouth. And what is a mouse doing inside of a fox's mouth? What could happen? Oh, look, he's a doctor. What kind of doctor would be in someone's mouth? Oh, maybe a dentist. So that's just another thing. Another thing you could do, and Ashley and I were talking about this story mapping outline preview. So you can literally, with those who need extra help, you can do the step-by-step story mapping, character, setting, this is what happened, here's the plan, here are the actions taken and the resolution. You can do that ahead of time to help simplify it before you read it, just to give them a quick summary of the book. Right. And 
So your pre-story knowledge activation or your time before you read the story, that's going to vary depending on your students. You may spend a larger time on this part of it versus actually reading the story or even your post-story discussion. So you have to be able to adjust your time for your specific students and their goals. So after you've done that pre-story knowledge activation and or built that background content knowledge, so you have some of that in mind as you're reading the story. So what are the things you're going to be doing as you're reading the story? And that's the next step in a literacy-based therapy session is actually the shared book reading. And so I like to use what's called principles of dialogic reading, and it's a type of interactive reading method that involves a back and forth dialogue between the reader and the listener. In this method, the reader asks questions, makes comments, encourages the listener to participate in the story. You can do this by asking open-ended questions, inviting the listener to make predictions, make connections, and to even share their own ideas and experiences related to the story. So again, I look at reading aloud to a student as a performance. For me, I am performing for them. A, I'm getting them excited about reading, but I'm demonstrating to them my metacognitive thinking because we know that good readers think about what they are reading. So I have to often demonstrate that for my students. I have to, you know, point things out and I will say, hmm, or ooh, or wow, that's neat. Or I will make comments about the characters. I will point out their expressions in the book. I will point out and kind of give a synonym for those vocabulary words. Like, so like when you come across the words muttered or assistant or admit or outfoxed, some of those words that you had targeted that you mentioned earlier, those tier two words, I'm going to, you know, kind of repeat and call attention to those vocabulary words for those students if they are working on story grammar. So I'm going to kind of point out, okay, this is our setting. These are our characters. Oh, this must be the problem. This must be how they're working on the plan. So you're going to point out all of those things as you are reading. It doesn't need to be a long distraction from the story. It needs to go into the flow of the story. So you're A, keeping their attention. You're demonstrating those metacognitive reading strategies And then you're also pointing out some of those language or vocabulary concepts. So back to dialogic reading, our research has shown that dialogic reading is a highly effective method for promoting children's language and literacy skills. It helps with overall language development. It helps with comprehension. It helps with their critical thinking. And it also fosters a love of reading because when you are discussing, there's, you know, so much social emotional connection to a story And if students see you loving and getting excited about a book, they're also going to be excited about the book too. So we can reference the dialogic reading if you'd like to read more about that specific strategy on how to read with your students, we can reference that in the show notes. So Kaylin, what else do you like to do as we're reading in a literacy-based session? I love doing the voices and I know... So if it's a mouse, a little higher voice, or if it's a big ruffalo or a big bear, just using a big deep voice just to kind of get the size. And then also looking at the text features, really getting animated with that. And then even Dr. Soto, if you look on the second to last page, 
they glue his mouth together. And so when he talks, he says, Thank you very much. And so his teeth are glued. So he's saying thank you very much. And so if you have your face looking like you're stuck together, that way, and you can point to the picture of the fox, and you can say it the way it's written, and it kind of helps them understand, oh, he's not really able to talk because his mouth is glued together. So pointing out things in the illustration with Dr. DeSoto, the size differences, like I said. So the the dentist, he is he is a great dentist because he's so tiny that they barely feel him inside their mouth and they don't feel the pain as much. And so there are references to small animals, big animals, extra large animals. And so noticing the different types. And in the beginning, noticing that those animals are not predators. They're not what you would think would be a typical danger to a mouse. So he's getting inside their mouth, no problem. And then that way, when the fox comes, it's a different shift. You can say, ooh, there's a fox. What do you know about a fox? Asking prediction questions when you're reading with Dr. DeSoto. Do you think they will help the fox? Why would a mouse dentist help a fox? Don't they know what could happen? Do you think they will be safe? How? And then asking, what would you do? Would you treat a fox? Why didn't the fox just eat the mice right away? Well, he needed their help and he was in so much pain. And so again, not distracting, but just adding those comments and it you're pointing back to the story the whole time. You're not going on this random tangent. It all just elevates what you're reading. Asking inferential questions. Why are they helping the fox? Why is it a risk? Who do you think the fox is talking about? So in this book, there are a lot of uh, the mental state verbs. So he, the fox is in his thoughts. Well, the DeSotos don't hear him talking because he's thinking it. It's still in quotations. And so trying to bring attention to the fact that he's just kind of thinking aloud and then in his own dreamland, what is a dreamland and discussing that. So that way they, again, if they don't understand these things, they're not going to understand the the sneakiness of a fox. And then also the fact that the DeSotos outfoxed him. Also, we're... We're going to, like, again, the vocabulary, review it as you go, point, like Ashley said, point out those words that you reviewed in the pre-story while you were walking to your speech room. Asking those WH questions. These are questions that are directly related to the text. Not you're predicting, but literally if it says that they looked out their window, then you would say, where did they look out? And then engaging points. So you're going to try to relate. Have you been to the dentist? Have you ever had a toothache? Look, he's in so much pain and he's crying. Have you ever helped someone who wasn't kind to you? And so, again, don't go too far off. If these are questions that are, you know, in the speech group that they can really easily be distracted then don't allow this to be a distraction away from the story. These need to be quick questions pointing back to the story. Right. And then, so after, so you're doing all those things as you read. So after you have the shared storybook reading, what comes next in a literacy-based session is the post-story comprehension discussion and activities to reinforce comprehension. So 
looking back, I, like you were mentioning the WH questions with our younger students or with our students who are on a lower level for reading comprehension, those WH questions are more directly related so that they can go directly back to the text and find the answer. With our upper elementary students, so that we know in like third grade, fourth grade and on, questions are more inferential anyway. They are not always directly related to the text. So we have to make sure that students are understanding character motivations, what are characters thinking, those types of things. So in our post-story activities, we can be looking at those types of WH questions. We can go back to specific vocabulary and probe for understanding. And if they aren't able to connect the meaning with the vocabulary words, this is where that explicit instruction has to come in. So explicit intervention activities might include pictures or extra child-friendly definitions. You know, you have to encourage them to maybe act it out or explain other target words. There's some research that found in order to go beyond the, the breadth of vocabulary, so the number of words that kids know, you have to go deeper. So it's not just vocabulary breadth, but it's a vocabulary depth. It's how much you know about a specific word. So if they did not understand the word muttered that was mentioned early in the story, you're going to give, yes, you're going to give synonyms, but you're also just going to give some other semantic features related to those specific vocabulary words. Um, So going longer and deeper with words are going to have more of an impact on long-term vocabulary. So in like with Dr. DeSoto practice retelling the story, again, the goal is for them to see that there is a plan and then the steps, the action steps, and then the resolution. So that's the goal. And they might even see like the internal response of the DeSotos. They were worried. The fox was conflicted. So different things like that. There are different steps with story grammar, but the goal again is for them to see the plan. So even if you're just pointing it out, We want to use those words, those cohesive ties to tell this story. So with Dr. DeSoto, going back to their goals, macro structure, so like their vocabulary, you would focus on what she said, muttered or outfoxed and just really get into the child-friendly definitions and the acting it out. And again, with with Frank, you very much or, or muttered. Try to talk in a muttered way when you're reading the story. And then problem solving, inferencing, perspective taking. How do you think if you were reading this book from the point of view of the fox, talking through, this would probably be with your older students, but talking through his perspective. Oh, my tooth hurts. Oh, this dentist is well known here. I need help. I'm desperate. Oh, he kind of looks tasty. Ooh, you smell really good. And then maybe I shouldn't eat you, but I want to eat you. So that kind of perspective taking, he didn't go necessarily with the intention to eat them. And so talking about that, talking about the DeSotos, what brought them to have compassion for that fox? Figurative language, the metaphors, again, tasty morsel. So the fact that the fox is referring to the mouse as a food, the dreamland, the fact that the fox is asleep because the Dr. DeSoto put gas on his nose and so to ease the pain. 
And then microstructure, linguistic verbs. So the linguistic verbs really help you understand the emotions of the characters in this story. The mental state verbs really help you understand that this is in their thoughts, not out loud, that other characters don't recognize it. This book also has a ton of adjectives. And then again, like I said, the cohesive ties. So practicing first, this happened, but then this happened. So this happened. Right. I mean, and that's why we picked Dr. DeSoto as like a really great example of a literacy-based therapy session, because A, it has the story grammar and it has all those other juicy vocabulary and other language concepts. So we wanted to to demonstrate that. So basically to recap a literacy-based therapy session, you're using the book as the tool not just a part of the theme. So the book is the tool. And so you're going to have a pre-story knowledge activation. You're going to share the shared book reading. Then you have your focus skilled activities. And then after that, you can create a parallel story with the kids. So have them think of their own two characters that may be a predator and prey type situation. Maybe give them a fun, you know, instead of a dentist, maybe they're like a construction worker or you know, a firefighter or something else. And then they create the parallel story. And so you're going to be using that as your probe, maybe even take data on, hey, can they recreate similar story elements? Can they use strong vocabulary words? Can they, you know, add in some figurative language or some of those metaphors? Can they use linguistic verbs? Can they use those mental state verbs and have them create? It doesn't have to be written. It could be orally told or acted out, something like that. But not every time. Um, Caitlin, did you always do a parallel story or you have mentioned what else? So yeah, so I, I don't always use a parallel story. I had a student the other day who put connections between the story we were reading with a story that we had read previously. I love that. And so I saw that as a win. So yeah, you can compare and contrast other stories that you've read with this specific story. If you've heard of The Selfish Crocodile by Faustine Charles to capture the concept of prey helping a predator. And then if you are more wanting to focus on that clever problem solving, Do Like a Duck Does by Judy Henley is about a fox who follows a duck family and the mother duck to protect her ducklings. Out foxes the fox. Um, My Lucky Day by Kiko Kaza, it's K-A-S-Z-A, is about a pig who tricks a fox. So the fox thinks he's about to eat the pig, but the pig instead gets a really good meal out of it and then ends up getting away. Or The Gruffalo by Julia (laughs) Donaldson, where the fox tricks or not sorry the not the fox but the mouse tricks all of these different predators telling this story about a gruffalo and then he ends up meeting a gruffalo and then tricks the gruffalo out of eating him so it's a great like clever book so you could yeah, also- so i like using that i mean you don't have to always do a parallel story i think picking out other literature other examples is going to reinforce that concept So even if you have to remind them, like, oh, do you remember when we read that other book about a fox? What happened in that story? And trying to relate to that. And we know, and I was going to ask you this, but with our time, like we, we have sometimes 30 minutes or less, depending on your setting. Some of you have about an hour. So we know that this was a lot. And again, it's a generic session. 
So we know this is a lot of information, a lot of things to do in one session. So I do get a lot of questions on my Instagram or even in relation to the book companions that I have on TPT. People ask, you know, how long I stay on one specific book? How long do I use a specific book? And to me, there's no hard and fast rule. I think there are some people who need to use a book over multiple sessions, but I think you can also have a one and done type book as far as one book per session. As long as you're meeting their goals, you can accomplish it through one book or or multiple books. What I do like in, in subsequent sessions, so like let's say they're a Tuesday, Thursday kid, and we read this, we read Dr. DeSoto on Tuesday. So on Thursday when I'm picking them up, I'm also going to be using that walking time to probe their story recall from our last session on Dr. DeSoto. Hey, do you remember our book, Dr. DeSoto? What do you remember about the story? And this is another opportunity for data collection because you're going to be able to, you know, are they using those story grammar elements? Did they understand the basic plot? Are they using those cohesive ties? Are they using great expressive language, lots of adjectives and adverbs? Are they using and remembering some of the metaphors? You know, this is a great time to probe that. So you can do that on your your next session to probe for that knowledge. And then also maybe even know where they struggled. And so you can then realize, oh, maybe we need to spend a little extra time on understanding the perspective taking or... yep. So next week, we will be discussing our favorite top 10 summer-themed books. And so we will discuss those. But I just I wanted to bring up, we understand, again, y'all see groups, different aged groups. So we will in the future, we, we do have plans to also do how-to episodes with those in mind. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We know you're a busy SLP, so thanks for spending some of your time with us today. Click the description for this episode on your listening app or go to sweetsouthernspeech.com to access the show notes. We will include any links mentioned. And to continue the conversation, come hang out with us on Instagram at Literacy Based Speech Therapy, where we share lots of books to use in your therapy sessions. We would love to hear your thoughts on what you heard today. Please leave us a review on your listening app. We'll catch you in the next episode.